did you come to write this book? What really struck me was that too few books were about my people. Where are our stories? Where's our representation? Would you give us the pleasure of reading an excerpt? Yo, Sharonda, girl, you be pregnant again? If I is, Ray Ray is gonna be a real father this time around. Thank you. Monk, your books are good, but they're not popular. Editors, they want a black book. They have a black book. I'm black, and it's my book. You know what I mean. Look at what they published. Look at what they expect us to write. I just want to rub their noses in it. <laughs> I'd be standing outside in the night. Deadbeat dads, rappers, crack. You said you wanted black stuff. That's black, right? I see what you're doing. We sold your book. No. We believe Mr. Lee has written a bestseller. It's a joke. The most lucrative joke you've ever told. Now, is Stag a pseudonym? Yeah. Mr. Lee can't use his real name. Is this based on your actual life? Yeah, you think some bitch-ass college boy can come up with that shit? No, no. No, I don't. Can I ask what you were in for? It was a murder. You said that, not me. They ran 300,000 copies. Your books changed people's lives. They're offering $4 million for the movie rights. Yes! The dumber I behave, the richer I get. This has gone too far. Stag Arley is still on the run for authorities. You haven't done anything. It's not like they can arrest you. Wish I could go back to not selling books. Is it bad to cater to people's tastes? People want to love you, Monk. You should let them love all of you. There's already so much buzz because of the movie deal. Michael B. Jordan is circling. We want to put him on the cover in one of those, um... Uh, scarves, I guess you would call them, tied around his head. A do-rag? Do-rag, that's it. Do-rag and a tank top with the muscles showing. <laughs> Something called the fire department. <laughs> We're thinking we can get it out in time for Juneteenth. Hello, welcome to Movie Humpers. My name is Bob Sham. I am Angela. The sounds you hear may be dogs uh, for... For the Thursdays for the rest of this month, right on the cusp of the Academy Awards, mm-hmm. uh, we are discussing some some of the Best Picture nominees that we didn't get to throughout the year. Many of them came out late, and now we're just to get in this on time of the nominees. Anyway. That's true. Half of these are yeah. like now is when you see this them. one in particular. Yes, though I think this one is on its way out of the theater, so we caught it just in time. Well, I'm glad we caught it. I know a lot of the other ones are doing re-releases right now, just so people can see them. But yeah. So alongside our Women in Crisis theme this month, come uh, check out on Thursdays, we will be dropping, and the nominees are, which are what's left of the Best Picture nominees that we've yet to discuss. Last week, we talked about the whole reactive... Um, conversation around the alleged Barbie snubs, the movie that actually didn't get snubbed at all. And also we discussed Maestro directed by Bradley Cooper in which the phrase your Nana is my beard in heaven was uttered on that episode. Um, It's Nanny. 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 Your Nanny is my beard in heaven. Or my Nana, but not Nana. I don't know who that is. Either way, she's Leonard Bernstein's heaven beard. If you're going to be a beard for someone, she picked a good one. 
Sure. And my, we also determined that my grandmother is also one of Leonard Bernstein's beards. And she doesn't know he's gay. <laughs> she wouldn't. <laughs> my nanny's like cool with it. I don't. She didn't know Rock Hudson was gay either. I had to explain that to her. <laughs> but most people didn't. It was you know from a time where it was said. But we're talking about a different movie, American Fiction. Yes. Uh, directed by Cord Jefferson, who makes his feature directorial debut. He's a writer. He's written on many projects on tv and this is his first outing as a theatrical release not too bad cord getting the best all. picture nom on your first feature film it is starring uh jeffrey wright probably my favorite role i've seen of him in um uh it you know oh he was also we were trying to think of movies he was in he's in a lot of movies i'm sure but he's also uh commissioner gordon in the new batman movies remember oh my gosh yes also starring Issa Rae, John Ortiz, Sterling K. Brown, and Tracy Ellis Ross. This whole cast I thought was great. Brilliant. Um, and yeah, that is, it is based on a novel called Erasure by a writer named Percival Everett. I've actually read one of his books. I read, um, his book, I Am Not Sidney Poitier. <laughs> it is an absurdist comedic novel. Oh my God, I couldn't. It's been so long, but this character, his name is Sidney Poitier, but he's not that Sidney Poitier, and he gets adopted by Ted Turner. <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's a, it's a full on comedic absurdist novel. And, uh, you, so you can kind of see that comedic tone come out. But I think Cord Jefferson maybe threaded more of the interpersonal relationships. As I understand it, I haven't read Erasure, but I first heard of Percival Everett. Years back, uh, LeVar Burton briefly had a podcast where he read short stories. To yeah, him. I used to listen to it. And he read, and this, there's a story, I, if I'm remembering correctly, it was written a short story by Percival Everett. And I want to get a collection of his short stories about, uh, a guy investigating some, maybe like a detective or something on a reservation investigating yes. something. Yep. And I thought the story was really good. And it, and it, and I went to go find one of his books. And the only one I've read so far is, I am Sydney Poitier, which is weird as shit. But <laughs> Percival Everett getting its first, uh, I think this is his first, uh, adapted work, I think. Um, but yes, American fiction. It is, uh, what is this about? We won't go into too many details because it's still in the theater, mm-hmm. but we will, uh, of course break down. I don't think there's like a lot to reveal here. I think a lot of the trailer tells you exactly what the tone and the point of the movie is, but. How would, yes. you, how would you start off talking about this movie? This is a movie about a man writer. who is a writer. Well, I'm get, I was going to say that, but he's also a man. He's a man who is a writer. He's a black man who is a writer. He's a professor. He lives in California. He has been disconnected from his family, but he's also- No, he's of, in Boston. He's from Boston. Uh, doesn't it take place in Boston? It does, but he lives in California- and he leaves his job in California. Remember, they okay, he, right? He's separate. He, yeah, because he's like he's like physically separated himself from his family. This white girl is mad that he wrote the N word on a board in terms yes. of referencing some literary point from a Flannery O'Connor novel. Yeah, and the the name of the name of the novel. The point I was trying to make is that he's separated himself. From his family physically and emotionally, but seemingly also from all of society. And he just 
thinks that he is, he's seeing things that people are not seeing. He feels more enlightened than the people around him. It kind of reminded me a lot of the holdovers in that I feel like he expects more out of people than what they're giving him, especially the students in it, that little brief moment. It's a good year for grumpy professors. It is. It right? is. Those, yeah, another good movie. He basically, I just loved it so much because she was complaining about it. And he says to her, if I can get over it, you should be able to. Yeah, yeah. And she's and she basically argues, and then it cuts, and you don't hear what he says to her. But the next scene, he is being reprimanded because this is not the first time he has said something. Apparently, he asked some kid if his family was Nazis. <laughs> yeah, because they were because the kid was German, <laughs> and he was squirming <laughs> in his seat when they were talking about Nazis. But it's just, it's one of those things where you just kind of get the idea from him that he, is, he's very smart. His mom at one point says he's a genius. But of course, he's a, he's a, he's a fiction writer. Yes. But his books are considered good critical successes, but not commercial successes. Exactly. And he encounters a woman. Um, well, he goes to, to some reading, uh, by, uh, her name is Centara Golden, is played by Issa Rae. And she's reading a book that is more, you know, before we preface this, I want to tell a personal story of when I worked at a bookstore, a media store early sure. on okay. during this time. I worked in this place for a while, but we sold books and used media and stuff. So we had sections like a library would where you would recommend people. And a black woman comes in and she asks where the black books are, right? Now, I did not um, know in that moment that there was something called an urban fiction section or whatever the fuck they would call it, right? That is what they classify these things in bookstores or whatever the fuck. And so I'm, it's me and this other girl, white me and white little liberal girl. We're both good little liberals, right? And we say to this lady, it's like, um, I don't think we segregate the fiction. <laughs> and now this lady was perfectly nice. She didn't yeah. like react negatively. She was perfectly kind. And, um, and we said that almost with like some kind of pride or something like let's yeah. let's good liberals are not in our bookstore that we work at. Right. So she's like, oh, okay, well, I'll just go look around. She, she goes and looks around and she comes back. She's holding like three books by like black authors, books that seem to be about the type of books that our main character here, uh, Thelonious Monk Ellison, as played by Jeffrey Wright, is reprimanding. And she's holding these books and she's like. Oh, you do have a section here on this aisle. It's, it's, um, under urban fiction. We didn't even know that section existed, right? So we're sitting here being like, no, we don't, we don't, we don't have a black fiction section like that. They're, they're with all the general fiction. It's like, no, we actually did. Which and is it, what I would assume, which is it, why I was like, and it's actually a, po- was a popular section sure. amongst people who read, but there's something in this movie that, I would have to question based on my personal experience in that, that white people read these books. Mm. I'm not really sure if the NPR housewife is reading like the kind of books that Issa Rae's character is reading aloud. But if Oprah tells them to, they are. That's true. But in, in an environment that, that, you know, that, um, Monk was in, where people are watching, you know, this black woman read from her book. This movie almost seems like it's clowning liberal white women. Oh, it is. It? Like, oh, it totally. absolutely is. And it's uh, and then you see that white woman stand up in front of Monk to applaud to like get in the way of his critique. It's like no, the the uh, the grandiosity of the scenario, the the rawness, the the ethereal nature of the novel. 
Yes, there is a very obvious tone in this movie of white people thinking that what is what do you call what is it a uh, virtue virtue signaling virtue signaling i will not i will not give away the moment because I, no spoilers because you should see this movie but there is a moment in which they're having a conversation about a book written by a black man and it's three white people and two black people and the two black people are like, this nah, this not book very is good. not very good. And the white people are like, we need to listen to black people. <laughs> and there was a group in front of us that literally started cackling. Oh, yeah. Like, no, I mean, this, and I was laughing too. Funny. Like, it this is, is so funny fucking funny because, and it took me like a beat and I went, oh my God, they are, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's so smart too. It is. Like, it's, it's such a clever movie. I think the thing that really puts this movie over the edge and what makes it seem worthwhile. Um, amongst its nominees. I mean, in terms of, I'm not going to get mad at what wins or what isn't nom. I mean, I got my opinions on things. Sure. But it's not my institution. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, ultimately, they've made these dumb choices and picked dumb movies. And there's always going to be someone super cool and amazing that doesn't get that nom. Absolutely. I agree with them with not nominating the, 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 um, Margot Robbie, I do yeah, agree with that. I do that. too. And it doesn't because erase Because of the other women who are nominated, <laughs> yes, they deserve they, it. Yes. But I'm just saying, like, it doesn't matter to me, ultimately. We're going to yeah. watch it for the first time in, like, since we were kids, probably, the Academy Awards. And I, I expect it to be boring. But we're going to sit through it I because we wanna... do this fucking show. Yeah. And at least we can observe the circus a little bit. I want to make us like a like a card. We need to gamify it. No, we're going to gamify it, make predictions, have fun with it. We're going to present a rule where we can take an academy away. Yeah, I love that. And we'll have to write to them and inform them that they'll have to mail their award to us because we have rescinded <laughs> their award. And then we'll do everything we can to get it to the right person. Uh, we may have to go hard if they don't respond. I also would like to propose a category of who should have played that role. So the thing about this movie that I really think puts it over the edge into something that's really quality mm-hmm. is the is the the family nature of it. Yes. There's problems in the family. There's alienation within the family. Uh, you got a father who took his life a long time ago. Who's who's kind of whose loomingness still exists, even though you never officially meet the man. Yeah. And then you got the mother who's who's going into dementia. You got this brother who uh, is gay and was in an unhappy relationship for a long time. He's a doctor in Tulsa. And now he's snorting oxies and partying, but he's just kind of always trying to run away from things. As And uh, Tracy Ellis Ross is playing his sister, who so quickly establishes such weight and charm in her scenes but tragically, she's gone, like early in the movie. And it's kind of the fallout of yeah. her passing kind of establishes the struggle of the whole family and how they got to come together, whether they like it or not. And Sterling K. Brown is also, he's the one playing his oxy-addicted gay brother. I loved him. He was, he was, he I, was this, so this, good. this whole cast is wonderful. Like, as an ensemble, this movie is quite well done. Like, if you could nominate a whole just... An a ensemble movie based cast? on the, an ensemble. I think 100. this is pretty fucking solid. Absolutely. Even Lorraine, who has been their um, housekeeper for their whole lives, Maynard, so developed. You feel like you know these people. You well, even know like these little boys that come to hang out with the brother at one point. Like mm. they, they're so distinctive. 
Yeah. They have such personalities the, that within minutes you're like, oh, I know who that person is. Not the, in a bad way. The characterizations are, they come through so easily. Mm-hmm. They, I, I would compare it to like, well, we talked about movies like, um, this isn't a pure romance like those movies, but like Mississippi Masala, My yeah. Beautiful Laundrette, how the characterizations just shine through so much and they feel so effortless. Mm-hmm. It kind of has that kind of vibe as well and 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 for that alone i do think it this movie stands out particularly um as far as what i think if it's better than other movies or not like maybe i wouldn't give it my best picture nom but but yeah as an ensemble as pure character work and it does it in a way that you know if anyone's ever had a, a relative that goes old if you've ever lost a family member there it it's amazing how universally um relatable their lives can be even as people who are these people who are overeducated in a way or have careers that a lot of people don't have but you know the money's getting tight because people are passing away well and he's gotten fired he's gotten he's gotten fired told his family that because he offended a white girl in his classroom and he went to boston for that book fair where he saw Issa ray but he went to visit his family and now he's because of circumstances forced to stay and so he's got to make money. So almost on a lark, he starts to write a book as he perceives like this urbanized fiction. I use that term very quote unquote. He's writing it as a criticism. Yeah. He does not intend anyone to take it seriously. He wants them. He wants publishers to read it and go, oh, this is this goofy. Is, this is goofy. Why do we get behind stuff like this? He's trying to teach them a lesson. And of course. But again, he's the smartest person in the room. And in the trailer, you'll see he says, you know, it seems like the dumber I act, the more money I get, the book becomes a hit. Uh, like you could tell that from the trailer. So that's what he's got to deal with while also trying to deal with his family and a relationship that he's trying to thread the needle to. But I also want to talk about um, Issa Rae for a second. Yeah. I thought the way this movie handled that specific character mm-hmm. was really brilliant because yeah. I think the character of Centara Golden, who's supposed to be se- selling these more as, as, uh, Monk Ellison would think, these more stereotypical, uh, books that maybe he sees as like cornering his own black culture itself. Mm-hmm. But as well, we get to know Issa Rae as they're involved in some book reviews together. She is a more rounded out figure. She mm-hmm. is not presented as someone who is dumb, even though our main character perceives her books as stupid. Yeah. And she is actually kind of does provide like genuine literary critique. And she actually surprises the main character. And we do get a conversation between them. Yeah. And she admits that it's like all about like marketing. In terms of like giving people what she wants. So there is that debate and there's not really a conclusion to the debate. One thing I really did love about that conversation too is that, you know, the question is posed truly what is different about the book that she wrote and this book that is, that he wrote as a, as a parody, as a Mm -hmm. joke, as a lark. While it is marketing her book, she argues, has a soul to it because it's actually she interviewed people she talked to folks like she wasn't just making it up he was just making up what he thought people would lap up Mm. and she was trying to say yeah i'm making something that people want to read but i'm also like 
there is a there is a story there. Mm. Like there's a reason and there's real people behind it. When he's writing the the what he thinks is just a parody work, we get like actors representing That was funny. And had Keith David there. The, he's from the thing. He's from some John Carpenter movies. Like, I love Keith David and I'm glad he's still with us too. I love to see him in anything. I know. In terms of just connecting to family, and of course, you know, the Sterling Sterling uh Sterling K. Brown's character of Cliff Ellison, he's very resentful of the family. And he talks about certain aspects of how, of course, he never told his dad he was gay. He was married to a white, he was had a beard for most of his life. So he's dealing with that isolation. It feels like he was only really able to be himself later in his life. Mm-hmm. So you kind of understand why he feels like such a party boy when he appears to be probably in his 40s, right? Yeah. But there's also this, uh, the jealousy between the siblings and it comes through like so effortlessly, like it's so well represented. You really, you really got to appreciate again the ensemble nature of this yeah. movie. That's where it shines. Even if certain things are like maybe not, maybe you can question this. You can go there. The collective nature of this cast mm-hmm. is really shiny yeah. and really something. I would like to just uh, shout out the girlfriend. It's played by uh, Erica Alexander. I thought that she was lovely. I really appreciated how different she was than him and how open she was to his family that he thinks is is crazy and mm-hmm. terrible. Do you know what I mean? Like, she's one of those kind of people. She's like exactly the person he needs but can't accept. She would accept him for anything, but he mm. won't tell her. She must have inherited that beach house, though. Because she's a public defender and she got a beach house. Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. I had to have inherited it. This movie's very funny. I I would say it's a a recommendation. Um, we won't go more into how, obviously, he, he he's operating under a, um, what's the word? Pseudonym. Pseudonym for this fake book. And, and, uh, yeah, it blows up. So there's some comedy in which he has to kind of, Pretend he's not as educated as he is to make all these white publishers more convinced of the success of this book. And most of the biggest moments of that are honestly in the trailer. Yeah. You know, like the trailer makes you think it's going to be even more of that. But the moments they do that, it's very smart. It's very well done. But it's the family dynamic that truly brings this whole movie to another level. There is that comedy there, but there's... That aspect of it that makes it connect that human mm-hmm. that human connection, and uh, yeah, a very worth it film. Highly check it out. It's very smart. It's very thoughtful. Best best of the year, in my opinion. I don't know. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I think I don't Jeffrey know. Wright, though, it makes sense that he's on that best actor list. Yeah, and I you know, again, it's a ray like it's a, oh yeah surprising how well done that character ended up being i think with a Absolutely. with a lesser writer that character could have been a lot more shoehorned in some ways you can agree with what monk ellison is saying but you know there are things there he also has to contend with what society will take whether he likes it or not and what yeah. that defines and it's um you know a lot of that is a conversation to be had within the race that they're dealing with but yeah. but it, it posits some interesting questions here yeah the 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 agent is is really great too and he makes the point where he says you write really good books but people don't want to think they want 
something that's easy and fun. I mean, I they don't talk about this specific in this movie, but there's something like, I think the average, you may know this, but it's the average novel is written at like a seventh grade level or something. Yeah, it's not. Like it, it's not, you know, it's not complex because it's supposed to be fun. There are certain things. Not you can, challenging. There are certain things you can blame on that. And if you want to get political on how the education system is used. Yes. There's probably traits of that all over the world and whatever their own pop culture is. Yeah. But um, I was, I was kind of one, I was sitting there while I was, I was like, what could, what else could Monk do here like he could write comic books you know if he wanted to do something more of a pop thing yeah like he could have been a con like he could have um written like young adult novels like there was other avenues to go to compromise his own passion so but it's just she kinda... got under his skin and he was truly it was truly a response to Issa ray's book it was a direct response go watch american fiction by cord jefferson for an for that interesting take on that culture on that cultural corner, but you're gonna give one through five. I'm gonna give one through five combined for best out of ten. Yeah, I'm easily sitting at a four. I think I'm a four point two five. I'm gonna agree with you. I think the ensemble nature I of do it. Too. That's I what loved, it. I love every, everyone here was so good. Core Jefferson screenplay really provided depth in a way that I think a lot of perfectly fine writers. Would have probably missed a little bit there, you know, but he didn't. Yeah. So that, that really is something there. So that is an 8.5 for American fiction right there in the 8.5s. Got the same score as our other, uh, grumpy professor best picture nomination, <laughs> the holdovers. Yeah. And also stands alongside movies like we mentioned Mississippi Masala, Fox and his friends, the Fassbender mm. movie, Akira, um, devil in a blue dress. The Searchers, Nightcrawler, movies like it is at least as good as those movies. Oh, and you yeah. might even think it's a little better than those. I won't argue with no, you. No, I won't argue either. Check the links for, we'll be, uh, we'll be talking about more best picture noms that we didn't get to for the rest of the month dropping on Thursdays. Thank you for listening to this one. Check the show notes for links, other places to find us. Like, subscribe, leave a comment. Did you see this movie? What did you think about it? I'd love to hear your opinion on it. Uh, but that said, uh, for our signing off for our Academy Award uh, edition. You are Knuff. <laughs>